Hello and welcome everyone to the City Council study session of March 1st, 2022. May we have a roll call, please? Absolutely, Mayor Peck. Present. Councilmember Member Faring. Here. Councilmember Martin. Here. Mayor Pro Tem Rodriguez. Here. Councilmember Waters. Here. Councilmember Yarbrough. Here. Mayor, you have a quorum. Thank you. Um, welcome everyone. These meetings are being held remotely due to the ongoing novel coronavirus pandemic. You can watch the live stream any of these ways. You can go to the Longmont, www.longmontcolorado.gov forward slash agendas. You can also watch it on the city's YouTube channel, Longmont YouTube uh, Live, or via the Longmont Public Media website, longmontpublicmedia.org forward slash watch forward slash. And of course, on Comcast channels eight or 880. Can we have a uh, Pledge of Allegiance, please? Uh, Councilor Yarbrough, would you lead us in that? Sure. I pledge allegiance. I pledge allegiance. To the flag of the United, United States, States of America. America. And to the, and to republic. the, to the republic for which it stands. One nation, one nation, one nation under God. God. Indivisible, indivisible with liberty, liberty with liberty and justice, justice, justice for all. Wow. Thank, Thank you. you. Wow. Yeah. So um, for the public, anyone wishing to provide public comment must watch the live stream of the meeting and call in only when I open the meeting for public comment. Callers are not able to access the meeting at any other time. You can see on your screen now the call-in information. The toll-free call-in number is 888-788-0099. Watch the live stream and write down the meeting ID when it's displayed at the beginning of the meeting. The ID here is 894-9349-6835. Wait for me to invite callers to call in and then dial the toll-free number, enter the meeting ID, and when asked for your participant ID, press the pound sign. Don't forget to mute the live stream and listen for instructions on the phone. Callers will hear confirmation they've entered the meeting, will be told how many others are already participating in the meeting, and will be placed in a virtual waiting room until admitted into the meeting. Callers will be called upon by the last three digits of their phone number and allowed to unmute to provide their comments. Comments are limited to three minutes per person and each speaker will be asked to state their name and address for the record prior to proceeding with their comments. Once done speaking, just hang up. So uh, do we have any motions to, to direct the city manager to add agenda items to the next two future agendas? Uh, Councilwoman Hidalgo Ferring. Uh, thank you, Mayor. I actually have two. Okay. So, you know, while you have me, <laughs> I'm going to do one at a time. So the first one um, I want to mention actually came to, I, I don't know who all received the email, but it said, but I, and I did talk to Harold and Don that um, there were, they did receive um, not necessarily the email, but maybe a visit. Don, correct me if I'm wrong. Somebody did come in 
to talk to you about the issue in the campaign, the Fair Campaign Practices Act. Um, and they, there was a request of changing or adding um, a word to the um, our ordinance um, 2.04208 uh, um, in adding the word street in um, address. So when it says including name and address is what the current language says, um, the request from um, residents were to add the word street address. So I don't know if you can hear my dogs, I apologize. Give me a moment. So, okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, I could debate or tell my rationale now or um, have it see if I can have it seconded and then we can begin debate. Um, yes, go ahead and make the motion. We'll get a second and then discuss it. Okay, okay. So, um, so if I can have a motion or if someone could second, I'd greatly appreciate it to share my rationale for bringing this forward. Councillor Hidalgo Faring, would you mind repeating that motion a little more? So it was in currently in our ordinance um, 2.0.204 or seven, sorry, uh, under disclosures and reporting. Um, the request was to add um, all contributions received, including to include the name and street address of each person who has contributed uh, $50 or more. So the only change would be to add the word street. Um, I can't explain my rationale for supporting this. That's fine. Okay. Um, let's just wait till the discussion point. Okay. Do we have a second for that, for that motion? Councillor uh, Yarbrough seconded that. So let's open up the discussion. Uh, Councillor okay. Hidalgo Firing, do you want to give us your yes. reason for it? So, um, you know, not long ago, on, you know, in the work I do with my teachers union, we went in and updated our bylaws um, because these were all pre-written prior to the internet. So a lot of things um, have changed. So what we imagined, what the world was like back then before, and I believe this was written back in 1992. So prior to the internet, um, what our phrasing language and our, um, you know, our often our go-to expressions are pre, were predated the internet. So, you know, we have, I think it is imperative that we update our language to match the turn of, you know, the 21st century. So okay. being really specific on that. Um, the other thing is I feel like since this was brought to us by residents and it was more than one, um, I felt like as us as representatives of the community, you know, we should be advocating and, you know, bringing things, bringing issues forward that were brought to us by the community. So that was one, another thing that I, a reason why I support this. And then um, also, you know, I feel like this is a small, change that we could make that would really help ensure that we have the trust and confidence of our community members. So I, I didn't feel like this was very a controversial issue, but I, I felt like it was a small um, change to make to one, update us to 21st century language, and two, to really work, you know, representing the community and, and okay. hoping to open those, um, you know, just create a line of trust. 
and confidence among our community members. Sounds good. Thank you. Do I have any other counselors when I have a discuss this or have an opinion? Councilor Waters. Uh, <clears throat> I'm just, could you clarify what it is that you believe is language in the code that adding, <clears throat> how does adding street address bring that uh, into a 21st century setting uh, as opposed to the way it's worded right now? Mayor, can I? Oh, yes. Okay. So, um, so address, typically, when we think of address, we think of where an individual resides, like their street address, where they, where they, their residency. What has happened now is with address, it, it can be construed as being, um, you know, it, it can be thought of as an email address. So that, that technology piece has changed since um, 1992. So, so just for whatever it's worth, it sounds like what you want to do is take us back, not forward, to require a street address and, and eliminate the use of an email address, which would be more consistent with a digital age than the street address. Just, just to clarify, the, the, the connection between street address and digital age or, <clears throat> you know, the dawn of the internet. So, um, so I kind of think that it adds more clarity of where the, um, where the um, donations are coming from. Email address doesn't give a very specific as, you know, what was the intent of this, of, of this ordinance or this ordinance or, you know, part of being the, in the Fair Practice Act was to give whoever's looking through the documents an idea of where these people are from, where are they even real people? Uh, email address doesn't really get to that. So, you know, and for me, I think it was wanting to be more specific. Are we talking about email address? Or are we talking about, or, you know, the other option would be to include email address, but I really think there needs to be a definite separating of what and definition of what address means. So I'm, I'm gonna vote, okay. I'll vote no when the time comes uh, to, to vote on whether or not to bring this for two reasons. One is I think if we're gonna change or update the, the ordinance, we ought, to, we ought to update the ordinance and not piecemeal it if there's more to, or to, to update. The second would be, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the background on this and, um, and what the, I think the motivation is. It, it eliminates for candidates in the future who, who, who accept or used uh, PayPal, PayPal, yeah. Um, it eliminates for some the use of PayPal as a way to, to accept a donation for a campaign. I think that's a mistake, so I'll vote no. Thank you, uh, Councillor Martin. You're muted, Councillor Martin. I know I am, it's the evil oh. spar again. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think this is too small. And uh, if, if at some future point, we're gonna go over the language in the sense and, and update it, um, then uh, we should, we do a language scrub. Um, you know, there, there are all sorts of similar problems, such as uh, a lot of the a lot of the entities that one pays out of a campaign don't publish a, a physical address, and you have to use an email because it's all you can get. Um, and uh, the the PayPal thing is is real, although it 
it's uh, you you can get the address. Stop shaking your head, <laughs> Mayor Pro Tem. It's not that you can't get the addresses, but you, but you have to spend a lot more time chasing down the person because PayPal doesn't require them to provide an address. Um, so we need to decide whether that's going to be sufficient or not. Um, and that's what I'm saying. I, I'm not sure that we should we should do this as as a uh, a little one one shot deal. But if we're going to do it, we should do the whole thing. Um, and uh, so maybe Council Member Adago Faring would like to uh, give the staff a little more time and amend it to be uh, you know an end to end scrub as opposed to just a one word change. Thank you, Councillor Martin. Mayor Pro Tem Rodriguez. Thank you, Mayor Peck. Uh, first of all, I would actually agree that instead of taking it as a piecemeal approach, I would recommend that we do uh, look at the, the act in its entirety. But as somebody who utilized PayPal in both campaigns, it is not hard to get physical street addresses from folks. It is very easy to do. IAA required it when asking for PayPal contributions. And also if somebody didn't give it to me, I just turned around and emailed them back saying, I cannot accept your contribution unless you provide me a physical address. And if it's unethical to reject contributions based on the fact that it does not provide you a physical address, then I guess that was unethical. It's not difficult. And for somebody who spends a very large amount of time on social media to say that it's hard to get a physical address from somebody by directly emailing them is ridiculous. So uh, I can agree with saying that we shouldn't take it piecemeal, but for anybody to say it's difficult to get a physical address is just absolutely absurd. Um, Councillor uh, Councilor Hidalgo Faring, do you want to? Um, Yes, I don't disagree that I, I do not want to take a piecemeal approach. I just felt like this was one that could be, and, you know, Don, correct me if I'm wrong. Can we, you know, make this change tonight and then, but also bring back, or would it just be in everybody's for the sake of time or for the sake of efficiency that we ask to bring back the Fair Campaign Practices Act? Um, for a review. Do you want to answer that, Don? Sure, Mayor Beck, uh, Council Member Dogglefairing. There are a couple other, I have a small list going of, uh, of a couple changes that I've uh, noted that would be helpful. Mm -hmm. So um, we, we could certainly bring back, I could bring back the ones that I've uh, kept a little list of. It's a small list mm -hmm. um, and include this one. And then uh, we could put it on a study session and, and discuss. Before we're in the heat of election season again? Yes, yes. <laughs> That's so, kind of why I agreed to bring it up now. And I'm sorry for like a conversation format, but that's why I wanted to bring it up now. And this one caught my eye because we, we are going to be having a special election coming up and then the following year, another local election. So if we could have these things in order prior to, um, that, that's kind of why I, it caught my eye that. Maybe we could do something now. Can I make a suggestion, Councillor Hidalgo Perry? So this is just a motion to put it on a future agenda 
can we amend the motion? Would you be uh, open to amending this motion to include it with the other items uh, that the city clerk has found that she wants on the uh, uh, to to be included to change the Fair Campaign uh, Practices Act, um, and perhaps even meet with the people who are working on this, so that we uh, we are including the public that that is interested. They're the ones that brought it to you, so it would be good to have a conversation with them too. Um, do we want a date certain that we would like to see this? Um, we want to just say before the next election, you decide, Councillor Hidalgo Faring, how you would like to word that. So I don't want to put a definitive date. Okay. Uh, because I know, you know, there's a lot of things going on and some okay. things have to kind of take precedence over others as situations come up. So I do want to allow for that flexibility. Okay. Definitely before the next regular election cycle, you know, if we cannot make it by this special election, understood but okay. if we can have something codified before before the next and really it's not you know the decision now is for us to be able to discuss this in depth as we look at the language and look at implications so my intent is not to really have that debate tonight but to get it on an agenda where we can have a thorough conversation on this on this topic so if i understand you correctly then you want to amend your motion Mm -hmm. to put this on a future agenda, um, including the items that the city clerk has found that she would like to uh, put up for amendment as well in the Fair Campaign Practices Act. Do I have that? Yes, you do. Did that yeah. make sense to you, Don? Okay. Uh, Councilor Yarbrough, would you like to uh, second the amended motion? All right. It's been seconded, discussed, and amended. Uh, let's all vote. Those who would like to see this on a, on a future agenda, raise your hand. That passes unanimously. Thank you, Councillor Hidalgo Faring, but you said you had two items. I do. And the next one, I didn't know if when the um, city manager does the COVID update, if I would be able to bring it up then. So I'm bringing it up now. Um, you know, we had talked about our um, back when council member Martin had mentioned about keeping virtual um, for the next couple of weeks. Well, you know, so it's been a couple of weeks and I'd like to make a motion that we move back to in-person and I can explain my reasoning behind that <laughs> if I can get a second. I'll second that. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so, um, my rationale for bringing this forward is the changes in guideline, um, guidance from CDC, um, the state, and Boulder County that, um, you know, we can go maskless. I know some of the issues was to be in a meeting for several hours with the mask on was very challenging for folks. Um, you know, we have the vaccine, we have the booster. You know, I understand we are still at a high transmission rate. We're still above that red line. However, you know, from my own personal experience, you know, I've been in the classroom this entire pandemic. Mm. Um, we've recently moved our staff meetings from virtual to in-person. So, and, you know, knock on wood, knock on wood, you know, I haven't gotten sick, um, but, 
it seems like we know more about the virus and we have some more mitigating um, practices in place that um, I think, you know, it's time for us to move back. Okay. Um, Plus I really, I mean, this is hard. You know, my dogs, my husband, it was like, (laughs) I need to be back in person. I need to focus. Thank you. Uh, Is there any other discussion on this? Uh, Harold, do you want to weigh in on that, please? Yeah, um, since we don't have a COVID update, I can show you a couple of graphs really quick. Okay. Um, So this one is the wastewater um, work that we're doing, and you can see that we're we're now pretty low, Mm -hmm. and that continues to decrease from a wastewater perspective. and then I'm going to share another screen with you all. And then this one is the caseload. So you can see that um, we're getting pretty close uh, to the red line. And then I got an email from the county that said their numbers are continuing. I mean, the numbers are just continuing to decrease. So that was really the only thing I was going to say in city manager remarks. Um, if I may make a suggestion, um, if we look at the 29th as the day that we're going to come back, because we have a meeting next week, um, and that's not a lot of time to communicate to the uh, community that we're going to be back, but then that gives us time to to get everything shifted over on the 29th, um, if, if council's open to that idea. Councilor Hidalgo Thuring, this is your motion, so would you so, like to? Yeah, so I would like to add that date on my motion that we return to in-person starting effective March, Tuesday, March 29th. I'll second that amendment. Um, so it's motion has been made by Councilor Hidalgo Ferring. I seconded it. Do we have any comments by other councilors before we vote? Seeing none, oh, <laughs> Mayor Pro Tim Rodriguez. Uh, I would just like to make sure that all council members are comfortable with a maskless meeting uh, for both council members as well as the public, since we are going back into a public meeting. Uh, if everyone's comfortable with that, then absolutely. Otherwise, I'm willing to also require masking for our meetings if that would be more comfortable for council members uh, in, in the near term. Um, do any of the councilors want to uh have any comments about that suggestion, masked or unmasked? Uh, Hidalgo Ferry? Um, can I offer the suggestion? So currently, as I'm teaching, I still wear a mask. The majority of my kids, their parents want them to be still be masked. So out of respect for them, I just, I continue to wear my mask. Um, so so I, I think to have that option would be very beneficial and kind of seeing if if there are council members who still want to wear masks, I'll be happy to wear mine. Um, So do we, does the uh, amendment include voluntary masks then? Does that, would that sound like a? I I would think so. I I, I mean, my, my goal was just since early on, we said that we would be following CDC and, Boulder County Public Health Guidelines, and it is optional, so. And the reason I I mentioned the word voluntary is because if we are going to the public to announce what we're going to do, we we would have to 
sure. have the correct wording in there so they know um, they know what to do. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I would say voluntary. Because, okay, so um, the motion I is to put that on the staff to to help mitigate those things. So the motion is that we go back to in-person meetings on March 29th <laughs> with a voluntary masking uh, addition to the meetings. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. All those in favor, please raise your hand. Opposed? That passes unanimously. Thank you, Harold, for that update. Are there any other uh, motions to add agenda items to future agendas? Okay, seeing none, we are going to move on. Now we uh, are going to have the public invited to be heard um, with three, remember public chat in the public that it's a three minute limitation on your speak, your comments. Um, so it's time to call in now. The information's on the screen. Please mute your live stream and dial in now. We're going to take a five-minute break to give everyone time to call in. Thank you. We'll see you soon.
Mayor Peck, we are approaching the five minute mark. I do see we have a caller waiting, um, but I'll leave it open for a couple more seconds for the rest of council to return. Thank you, Dallas. Okay, I'm gonna drop the slide and still only the one caller. Okay, let's bring them in. Sounds good. Caller with the last three digits, 525. Caller 525, would you please hit star six to unmute yourself? And when you speak, please make sure that you have the live stream muted and state your name and address for the record. Hey there, can you hear us? I can, can you hear me? Yes, we can, thanks. Hello. Um, hi everyone, it's Brian, jo Brian Johnson of 926 Kaufman. I'm caught in this evening with a request. Uh, there was an issue that myself and another gentleman who I didn't know, um, we brought up at the last public invited to be heard. That was the issue of car stereo noise, particularly along Main Street at certain hours. Um, with spring approaching, that's when it gets bad, summertime. Um, you know, with the inclement weather, we've had some relief, but, uh, you know, even yesterday afternoon, it wasn't, it was bad. I, I, between noon and 1.30, I counted 67 instances of audible car stereos inside my house, and I'm 150 feet off of me. I'm a block over. For those that reside along Maine, it's a constant and frequent nuisance. Uh, you know, the city ordinance 10.20.100 allows for 25 feet. While that's unenforceable, I understand. Um, I, I think we can do something about the ones that are audible from one, 200, even 400 feet. Um, rattle your windows. And at certain times, particularly weekends, holidays, nice weather, it can go on for 16 hours a day about every stoplight cycle you have at least one. I've spoken with Jeff Sater, the block captains. I've actually put a lot of effort into this. You know, I understand the challenges that they face. Obviously, limited police resources. Um, and the fact that it's very, it's, it's difficult to identify violators from inside a vehicle. From outside, it's plainly audible. But a lot of engineering goes into having quietness in vehicles. And... It's, it's tough for them to identify them from the vehicle. And so that's why I'm coming to you guys to ask for some help. They need our help. Citizens, those of us that live near any, any major thoroughfare, but particularly Main Street, need your help. And there's a couple of simple, cheap policy options I want to throw out there. Maybe a chance that we could get signs hung below the existing no cruising signs that are already on Main that read car stereo noise ordinance strongly enforced or something to that matter. Secondly, can we maybe put out a press release that says we're gonna start enforcing this more? Even better, maybe we could step it up and increase fines a little bit. Uh, perhaps make downtown a quiet zone where fines are doubled. You know, we put a lot of money, we put $300,000 into those patios on Main Street a few months ago. And it's, it makes it really unpleasant to dine on any patio, particularly ones that are on Main Street, um, when you have those going by. And 
turns out that the time, the prime violations time for car stereos is kind of the prime dining time. It's Friday evenings into Friday night, Saturday afternoons to Saturday evenings. Brian. And Sunday afternoons, for whatever reason, are a bad time. Brian. So can we bring this to the table? And Brian, <laughs> thank you very much for your comments. You've made some great points. Um, so thank your time is up. Um, thank you very much. And with that, there are no other callers, Mayor Peck. Okay, thank you. That brings us to our special reports and presentations. We have uh, two presentations tonight. They're actually our study session items. Um, the first one is a proposed restructuring of public safety department. And I do think our city manager, Harold Dominguez, is going to uh, take us through that. Uh, yes, well, I'm gonna introduce Zach Artis on this one okay. to do it, but before I, I wanted to do this, um, uh, I know you're probably going, what's the restructuring doing on this agenda item? Because that's normally an operational piece that we deal with internally uh, as the charter outlines. The reason we're bringing this to you is that in order to, to do the restructuring, there is a funding component that goes along with this. And it's tied to the funding that we allocated when we were looking at the FPPA retirement switch over with, within police and, and fire. And when Jim Golden brought that in, brought that to you all as part of the collective bargaining agreement, we indicated that we were funding it um, to the tune of um, approximately a million dollars and that we didn't think we were going, we weren't sure we were going to need all of that. So the funding source that we're utilizing in order to do the restructuring um, that you saw in the council com is actually a use of, of those dollars. And because we, when we talked to council that we were going to, we programmed them here and we want to move them, we actually wanted to bring that um, so that council um, could tell us whether they were not, whether they were okay with the, the use of that funding. And so I've asked Zach to talk a little bit about what he's, what he saw, what he's looking at, what we're trying to accomplish. Um, so that you all can understand um, the use of the dollars. And that's really the question on this, is the use of the dollars. Uh, Dallas, if you could bring up the PowerPoint for me, please, sir. All right. Um, good evening, uh, Mayor Peck and City Council members. Uh, Zach Artis, Public Safety Chief for the City of Longmont. Uh, I'm joined tonight by Commander James Brown. Uh, he will be presenting some information towards the end of this presentation. Um, but tonight we wanted to bring uh, before council a proposed uh, restructuring plan uh, for public safety, uh, but specifically for police service uh, side of things. Uh, Dallas, if you'll go to the next slide for me. Our goal is that uh, the proposed changes, uh, along with in conjunction with some other operational uh, improvements, uh, will help to address some organizational needs and challenges that we've identified uh, in our police services. Uh, Dallas, if you could go to the next slide. And so when we talk about organizational challenges, the areas where we have the most need uh, is our patrol division. Uh, for our frontline supervisors in particular, when we talk about our sergeants, uh, who are first-line supervisors, uh, they have many additional responsibilities other than simply just managing and supervising their shifts. Uh, as you can see, they have some uh, operational responsibilities. They have administrative responsibilities. Uh, they have uh, handled significant events and major investigations that occur on their watches, uh, along with uh, program coordination, 
and collateral assignments. Uh, Dallas, next slide for me, please. So what we found is when we began to look at, we found that our patrol sergeants spent on average about 60% of their time working on administrative paperwork and collateral assignments, meaning 60% of their time is spent within the office, which only gives about 40% of the time uh, to be able to be out on the road, um, supervising and working along with their shifts. And so some of the collateral assignments um, that we're talking about here, we have everything from uh, canine, uh, to honor guard, to, to uh, vehicle maintenance, FTO programs, animal control, our CSOs, which is our community service officers, community volunteer patrols, sergeants apprentice programs, um, and again, as in, they operate as instructors for a variety of perishable skills or skills that we have to do uh, every year uh, for training. That's just to name a few of the things that they have to do. Um, and this leads to challenges within an organization, and in our organization has led to some challenges. And, First and foremost, the communication. Uh, again, we're not able to establish clear objectives and directions. Um, and employee development. Uh, again, how do we identify strengths and weaknesses of our employees to begin to help develop them? Almost like a mentorship program, being able to find out what their goals, uh, what they want to achieve in public safety and where they're hoping to get to. Uh, again, organizational uh, efficiency is affected by this. Again, we talked about supervising if they're spending 60% of the time in the office handling administrative um, and other assignments, then they're only spending a very small amount of time out on the road along with their staff. And then again, are we creating this culture of consistency, accountability, and productivity? Uh, next slide, please, Dallas. So when we look at really our tenure of a patrol officer, as you know, uh, many of you already know, when you start in law enforcement, um, you start on the road. You go into the uniform, you're the one driving the marked car, you're answering calls for service with 911. But when we look at what we have as far as experience coming in, uh, what we find is that we have a, we're allowed at 86 officers uh, on our uniform patrol division, but 27% of them are still within their first year, meaning they have less than 12 months uh, on the road. And then what we find is that 47% of the patrol officers have less than two years uh, with the department. And so that's a, it's a pretty high number of uh, what we have as far as experience. And so what you see on the right-hand side of the graph that shows really when we look at collectively or globally all of the um, police side of things, you can see that for, for the most part, 68% of all of our folks have less than five years in law enforcement. Um, and then we have 15% uh, have 10 years or more, and then five to 10 years uh, is about 17%. Uh, I will tell you that when I started here in August of last year, we had 30 openings, and I think we're down to about seven this year. So we've seen quite an influx um, with 30, uh, 30 officers into that 86 because they're starting um, on our patrol. So this is there's a great need for our line level supervisors to be available and to be on the road. Um, Dallas, if you go to slide six for me, or the next one. So we also wanted to look at what it looked like for our sergeant's tenure. What are we looking like as far as our sergeants across the board? And so what you can see from a department standpoint, we're almost 50-50, meaning that we have 50% has been here less than three years or been a supervisor less than three years. And then we have those that have been uh, about 50% has been uh, more than three years. Uh, but when you look at our patrol, because when you make sergeant, that's where you start. Um, here just recently in the past month, we promoted five officers to sergeant. And so what you find is that we have about 17% that have three years or more as a sergeant. And then we have about 83% that has less than three years. Um, Dallas, if you go to the next slide for me. So the proposal and organizational changes that we're going to, to talk a little bit about tonight um, as we go through some slides is what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to uh, promote the deputy chief to a police chief position. 
we want to add three assistant police chiefs, um, three commanders, and uh, 13 sergeants is what we currently have. And I'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like from an organizational standpoint and why uh, we would like to, to move towards this uh, reorganization. Uh, Dallas, if you'll go to the next slide for me. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that we looked across the board at other cities uh, comparable to population size and also the staffing levels to make sure that what we were trying to do and what we were looking to do was consistent with what we're seeing across public safety, particularly on the police side. Uh, and so we looked at cities, Arvada, Boulder, Greeley, Loveland, and Westminster that are, are typically are close to our size, uh, along with staffing. Um, and as you can see, universally across the board, each one of those agencies have a police chief. Right now, we have a deputy chief that oversees our police department. Uh, what you saw as far as assistant chiefs, also known as deputy chiefs, on average, uh, a department has about two and a half uh, of those individuals. We have one. When you get to commander, that commander position can be titled a couple of different ways. It can be titled lieutenant or captain. What you find is that for Longmont, we have four. Most agencies are averaging seven. Um, and when you look at sergeants and officers, we're pretty consistent with what we see across um, cities that are comparable to our agency and our sizes. Uh, Dallas, if you go to the next slide for me. So when I started in August of last year, this is the um, organizational chart that, uh, that we had. This is the structure that we had. Um, of course, you have public safety chief, you had a deputy of fire services, a deputy chief of police services, a deputy chief of support services, and then you had a community health and resilience director. Um, and you can see the, the number of total personnel that each one of those are assigned. So that's kind of more of a, a global look and what public safety looks from a 30,000 foot view. Um, but Dallas, go to the next slide for me. And so what we look here and what we see is this is, this is in August of, of last year, this is the uh, police service side of things and how things were structured. So you would have a deputy chief um, over police and he has uh, four commanders, one over uh, two over patrol, one over investigation or detectives and one over uh, special operations. Um, and again, you can see the breakdown of span of control uh, there. So Dallas, if you'll go to the next slide for me. And so this is what we are proposing. This is what we would like to try to move to. Um, and what is in orange is the highlighted changes. And these really are only changes in titles, not changes in responsibility or changes in uh, monetary changes, simply because they're already compensated and they're already doing the functions um, as, a, as these positions. So the recommendation and what we're proposing is that the deputy chief of fire who uh, would become a fire chief, the deputy chief of police would become a police chief, and then our support services deputy chief would become assistant public safety chief. And again, you can see the personnel uh, that are assigned to that. The items that are in blue are, are, thing, are individuals or uh, groups that report directly to me. Uh, we, public, uh, we have PSU sergeant, uh, we have our data and marketing, uh, then we have our neighborhood response team. There's two officers that are involved in that. And then when you see LECC, that is the comms or the 911 center uh, that reports uh, to me. So Dallas, the next slide for me, please, sir. And so in the orange, this is what we are proposing and we're requesting uh, that we would like to do. And so what you see is you see the three assistant chiefs. There would be um, assistant chief over patrol, one over investigations, and one over collaborative services that would, would include community health and resilience along with other um, units such as school resource officers, canine, traffic, animal control that don't necessarily fit under patrol or investigations. And so what you would see is the responsibility of the commanders 
um, that we currently have, those would move up because they're more of a um, an executive leadership. They're kind of big picture working on things as we move through. The three commanders that we have highlighted in orange there are more of a role of middle management. A lot of agencies use what we call lieutenants um, or captains to help with that middle management. Um, and their responsibilities and assignment would basically take all of the administrative and collaborative um, responsibility off of the sergeants in order for those 13 sergeants to get back on the road and be spending anywhere between 95 to 96% of their time on the road with their shifts. Um, again, the commander position, there would be one assigned to day shift, one assigned to swing shift, and one assigned to, to nights. And that would help. And again, the 13 sergeants, they all work different shifts. They either work days, swings, or nights, would be divided among those three uh, commanders to help with that. Um, and so having lieutenants or the commander roles isn't really something new for the Longmont public safety uh, or that commander lieutenant position. Uh, these positions have been in police services before years ago um, and have been done away with by previous administrations for a variety of reasons. Um, and again, we still see that on the fire side of public safety, we have um, lieutenants and captains uh, on the fire side, along with assistant chiefs. But I think this really builds into really a bigger vision of public safety, um, and that is succession planning and developing our employees. You know, we talked just a few minutes ago on one of the slides that we looked at about 47% of our officers had less than two years um, on the road or two years at the agency. And then we looked at about 83% of our patrol sergeants um, had less than three years. And so I'm a big believer that in order to have a successful succession plan, we have to create a culture that embraces and provides opportunities for our talented men and women that work for the Longmont Public Safety, for them to develop and to grow. And so that is the goal is to, again, to help with not only management and supervision, to getting folks back on the road, but also to build towards succession planning and development within public safety. Dallas, if you'll go to the next slide for me. So our, our desired outcomes, um, it's simply, we, we have to improve, it would be improved communication. Again, we talked about employee development, meaning that we're finding out what their strengths, what their weaknesses are, how we begin to develop uh, the next generation of officer that is coming in uh, to take the, those leadership roles in the future. Again, it helps to improve organizational efficiency as far as what we're getting done. Again, improve supervision because we're putting those sergeants back on the road to be able to work hand in hand with their folks. Again, it creates a culture of accountability, consistency, and productivity. Goes along with some of the other bigger projects that we're working on in public safety, particularly on the police side with, with updating our policy and then moving towards certifications. Um, again, improves the span of control. And again, reduces risk and liability and identifies problems and patterns, meaning early on we're able to identify behaviors or actions or issues within our community uh, that we can get on top of before it becomes a major issue. And again, lastly, more presence uh, in community problem solving, which is critical to have that relationship between public safety and the community. Dallas, next slide for me. And so the question is, as is, is Terrell touched on a little bit, is, is the financial impact and funding for what we're trying to do on the police side. And I know Harold touched on a little bit, but I want to afford um, Commander Brown an opportunity to just talk a little bit about the funding, what that looks like. Um, and, and how that will carry through not only this year, but for the years to come. And so once he is done, um, be more than happy to take any questions, concerns, or comments the council may have regarding um, these suggestions or these changes. Great, thank you, Chief. Um, let me get rid of that feedback. 
Okay, thank you, Chief. Um, and as already has been mentioned, uh, uh, city manager meeting has already kind of covered um, the funding source. So I just wanted to break down a little bit more detail as to what the actual financial uh, impact of this proposal uh, would be. Uh, the net financial impact would be an increase in ongoing funds of $275,415. Uh, and that does include the addition of one full-time uh, position. Uh, the way that uh, we are making up the rest of the funding or, or to get to that net number is we are taking one of our, our current uh, commander positions and that would be converted into one of the assistant chief positions. And then we take one of our existing uh, master police officer positions and convert uh, one of those to that uh, assistant chief position. Uh, the remainder of what's left after converting those, those positions is the ongoing funds that I spoke about. And again, the fund source from those uh, been identified as the uh, as the fund that uh, City Manager Dominguez already spoke about, which was the um, the budgets that were created for the conversion to the uh, uh, Fire and Police Pension Association plan. So that uh, that covers most of the funding. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and turn it back over to uh, Chief Artis in case there's any questions. Would you mind taking down the slide, Dallas? Thank you. Do you have any questions, counselors, for uh, Chief Artis? Uh, Councilor Waters. I just want to confirm my understanding of the, of the numbers. Uh, the $271,000, $271,395, that's money that would have gone into the FPP, FPP retirement program? It, we, we, let me kind of explain that we budgeted because we didn't know how many people were going to move in that entire process. And we've gone through that move. And this is what's remaining after that. So that's money that's on the table. Unallocated. That would be is what would be used to cover the $275,415. So there's obviously $4,000 and change there. But basically, the additional cost for the staffing uh, uh, scheme or plan uh, that that uh, Zach has laid out, the net of all that is basically a four thousand dollar additional expense between the two seventy five and the two seventy one in terms of new dollars. Is that is that accurate? I'm looking at Jim. And well, I'm just, at, Harold, I'm just looking at the council communications and the net ongoing cost as I looked at the, as you look on whatever page that is, yeah. and, the, um, and, the, and, you, and it gets to the, you know, what the cost is for additional staffing in the, in the roles and responsibilities, and then the conversion of the master police officer position and one commander position, the net of that looks to me like is a cost of 275415 which is what Commander Brown shared. And then the slide I was looking at was the FPP total. And I'm, I'm just assuming that, that, that that's a pot of money that's used to cover that additional expense. So James, I'm gonna ask James, because that, that 275 is his number, but he might be able to answer that easier, James Brown. Sure, let me... Uh, yeah. Let me get in there and take a, take a look. So I think I see where the uh, 
where the confusion is coming from, and, and I will apologize for creating that confusion. Um, the the net uh, ongoing cost of 275,415, uh, all of that uh, would be covered by the funds that that are available in the uh, in the contingency uh, budgets we're talking about from the FPPA. The number that's on the slide, uh, there was there was a mix up there. That number that's on the slide should reflect that 275,415. Uh, so there's no excess uh, uh, funding that hasn't been accounted for. So that that full uh, a balance of the 275,415 would come out of that that uh, those budget funds we're, we're talking about. Yeah, that's kind of what I assumed. I wasn't yeah. drilling over the difference of the 275 and the 271. Just just understanding that the, as those costs ro roll as with the reallocation as the costs roll up to the staffing plan, the money to cover those costs is available through what what was budgeted for the FPP retirement program no longer needed for the FPP. Yes, that's, sir. that's correct. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm good. That's all. I just wanted to clarify. Thanks. Uh, if I can make a, I want to reiterate a couple of points Zach made. So um, to be very clear, when he shared when he shared the slide on um, the deputy chief and the deputy fire chief and in the title of police chief and fire chief, that changes nothing financially. That changes nothing from a responsibility side. It is really to bring clarity to roles and responsibilities and what people have to do because I know when we went through the hiring process, they kept referring to the public safety chief as police chief. He's over every public safety chief. And if council remembers, I said that's more of an assistant city manager in public safety in terms of reviewing the entire body of work in the entire public safety department. Um, there's some things that Zach has also done in this, and, and one of the conversations that we've really had is about connecting the organization. Um, and so he's also moved um, a couple of, and I don't know, he may have mentioned it, but I want to talk about this a little bit with council. He's moved Sarah Arnie and David Kennedy to where they're reporting directly with him. And so they're really working these cross organizational issues. So you've seen him on the neighborhood impact team. They've added to the neighborhood impact team what we're working on on some parking issues. Um, but that's for two poor purposes. Stronger, build stronger connections in the community. Build stronger connections within the organization and how we work collectively as an organization with each other. And, um, and I will say when we've, when we've, as we're using this now, um, it's been really beneficial. Um, also want to say a couple of things of why I approve this um, in, in this is because one of the things we looked at lieutenants, we looked at some of these other issues and we were creating compression issues. It was really hard to, to make it work financially. Um, I will tell you uh, during my month and a half stint um, as the interim public safety chief and what I saw, and I didn't talk to Zach about this, um, but we saw similar things. And it really is about that layer of supervision, increasing the number of people that we're putting on the streets to support the officers that are there, have that direct supervision, um, and really not have folks in the office 60% of the time doing um, office work um, and, and really aligning this in a different way. And so um, his analysis without, I wanted to see what he was gonna tell me based on what I saw, and it lined up exactly with what I was seeing during 
uh, this interim period. And so um, I think it's what we need to do as an organization. I think it's what we need to do to support um, our community, our public safety staff members, build the succession planning, bring accountability in, and, and just, I think it's gonna really take us, um, again, we talk about how do we take the next step, and I think this is a big part of it. So I wanted you to hear that from me. So I uh, wanna say, I, I am really excited about the way that you're reorganizing this uh, chief artist. Um, but I also like the idea of putting Sarah and David in the roles that you have had. They're well known in the community and uh, through many organizations. And, and I do think that the residents have confidence in those two. So putting them more in the public eye is, is a good idea. So thank you for that. So excited to see where this goes. Great, thank you very much. Thank you, Mayor, council members. So did you need direction from us? Uh, we'll need a motion to allow us to use the funds, uh, the, the, the funds remaining from the, that were budgeted in the, F, in the retirement account. Great, and I see Councilor Waters had your hand up. I was just gonna, uh, I thought we did need to get to move to give them direction. So I'll move that we approve the use of the unexpended money for the FPP program uh, the, and, and reallocate that $275,415 to cover the cost of the reorganization of the public safety department. Thank Second. you. Do I have, okay, and that's been, that was moved by Councillor Waters, seconded by Councillor Martin. All those uh, in favor, please raise your hand. Opposed? That carries unanimously. Thank you. Thanks, Zach. Thank you. Okay, our next item is also on the, under the study session items. It's the 2022 legislative bills recommended for city council position. And this comes from Assistant City Manager Sandy Cedar. Thank you so much, Mayor. Um, uh, members of council, this is Sandy Cedar, Assistant City Manager, and I have two bills for your consideration today. The first bill is House Bill 1138 which uh, is concerning the creation of programs to reduce the number of single occupancy vehicle commuter trips by improving access to alternative transportation options. So you may remember last year, there was a bill very similar to this that really that required uh, businesses to require their uh, employees to either find alternative transportation or reduce vehicle miles. This is the voluntary version of that bill. Um, and so what it does is it gives incentives for businesses to, to really get people either on alternative transportation routes um, or, or helping them to work from home or whatever that may look like in order to reduce pollution and vehicle miles traveled. So since this really does align with, this, with the council's sustainability plan, um, the staff recommends that city council support House Bill 221138. So, um... Do you want to move, uh, Mayor Pro Tim Rodriguez? Sorry. Uh, thank you, Mayor Peck. Uh, as uh, the representative for the city for the Colorado Municipal League Policy Committee, I just want to make sure that everybody knows uh, it was, I believe, two weeks ago now, uh, or one and a half weeks ago. We had this meeting where the all the representatives from around the state voted uh, on the CML policy position on these. And this was probably the most um, controversial 
of, of the votes that was taken that, that afternoon or that morning slash afternoon. It was about four or five hours of votes. So it was, it was a while, but uh, so there, there was a, a constituency of, I would say kind of Metro Denver slash Boulder County uh, council members and, and representatives that wanted to support this. Uh, that was voted down. Um, the CML policy committee decided to oppose unless amended uh, or, or be neutral unless amended. I can't remember exactly. It was less unless amended because uh, as large employers, the city, just like Longmont and other cities were concerned that this would be an unfunded mandate. And that kind of goes against CML's policy committee's general um, you know, uh, litmus test on how they, they look at these bills. So I just want to make sure everyone knows that uh, the mayor of Louisville, Ashley Stoltzman, was for it, argued for it. Uh, the council member from Boulder argued for it. Uh, it was generally places like um, Parker that argued against it uh, and Brighton argued against it. So I just want to make sure everyone's aware of what happened in that CML policy meeting concerning this this item. Thank you, Mayor Pro Tem. My uh, Councillor Martin. Uh, two things. Uh, one, I would like to point out that this is um, supportive, if not entirely consistent, of the direction that uh, our incipient connectivity uh, for local transit collective impact uh, committee is trying to head hasn't gotten very far yet. Um, and second, I'm not certain how a voluntary program can be an unfunded mandate. Any other comments? I will just say that I, I voted with the um, other Boulder County municipalities, uh, which like I said, died. And so then the opposite vote prevailed. Um, I think Mayor Ashley Stoltzman from Louisville provided really good arguments uh, why it wasn't necessarily an unfunded mandate. I can understand some nuances where some of the other municipalities thought that, but I support the, the staff's recommendation. So I'll make that, that clear. So um, I'll chime in here. Uh, I agree, I don't understand the unfunded mandate when it is a tax credit. I understand the outlying municipalities like Parker who are having a really difficult time with transportation to begin with um, and, and the remote areas. The urban areas like Denver and we are becoming more urban and Boulder have many transportation options for people if they don't drive. So um, I can understand the argument for it. The last time this came up when it was mandated, I was very sorry to see that leave. <laughs> Um, because sometimes you have to push people to do something. They don't transition or, uh, easily. Uh, I'm going to support this because if nothing else, we need to start somewhere. And um, if it's voluntary, then it will at least help people look for other means of transportation. So um, I will be voting for it. Do we have any other comments? Okay, all those in favor of supporting this bill, please raise your hand, this ordinance bill, I guess it is. 
Great, all those opposed? So Sandy, that passes unanimously. We will support that one. Thank you, Mayor Peck. The second bill that I have for you today is House Bill 221151, and this is concerning measures to incentivize water-wise landscapes and creating a state program to finance voluntary replacement of irrigated turf. Um, so obviously one of the things that will assist us in saving water is, is uh, changing landscapes. We have zeroscape programs and other things through our water master plan. Currently our water master plan does not include turf replacement or incentives for turf replacement. However, if the state does uh, end up moving forward with some grant programs, it certainly seems like something that our residents could take advantage of, would certainly save water. It is something that we're proposing in our parks right now. Um, and so based on all of those reasons, plus the alliance with your uh, sustainability plan, the, the uh, staff recommends the city council support House Bill 22-1151. Great. Any discussion, Councillor Martin? Uh, yes, I would like to uh, add to this that um, the resource central organization that come, gives us garden in a box and stuff like that and our uh, sprinkler system calibration program also offers turf replacement, which cities, city of Longmont does not subsidize at present. This might help us fix that problem. And I have, for one, have had a number of constituent requests saying, why don't I, why can't I use turf replacement from Resource Central? And so um, I'm going to support it because my constituents are asking me to. Okay, anyone else have any comments? All right, I've had the same, same email, same telephone call. So our, our city wants to go that way. So great. All those in favor of supporting this bill, please raise your hand. Those opposed? That passes unanimously. Thanks, Mayor. Thank you. Good bills. Uh, so now we're here at the mayor and council comments. Uh, do we have any comments from our counselors? Councilor Waters. Thanks, Mayor Peck. I just want to uh, publicly thank Longmont's Sunshine Club, a volunteer nonprofit group of, of very active women in town um, for their work with the St. Rain Valley School District principals in a number of St. Rain Valley schools, elementary schools, and, and probably uh, more specifically their health clerks. The Sunshine Club uh, does extraordinary, an extraordinary job of coordinating with Salud and, and um, volunteer dentists in town to conduct uh, dental screenings in our elementary schools. And then, and then the folks from Salud set up opportunities for teeth cleaning, dental hygiene, and more serious work if, if, if kids need it. And, and all that comes from volunteer dentists in town who volunteer. And that work just goes on. And I've just seen it in the last week, literally hundreds of phone calls to parents and health clerks working to make certain that kids get the attention they need and all of the paperwork and logistics behind that, pretty remarkable. So I'm not, they don't, I don't know how, I don't know how many thanks they get, but we owe them a big thanks on behalf of kids who need the very best of us. And, and that's what this group is doing. So thank you. I agree. Thank you for bringing that up, Councillor Waters. Are there any other comments? I would just like to share that uh, James Eamon from the Stewart Foundation, the foundation that built our incredible museum, is uh, giving the um, 
Friends of the Library, a rather large donation to buy in 2023, 100 books for every four-year-old in Longmont. So every four-year-old is gonna get 100 books, both in English and Spanish, um, because they totally believe in education, which is why they love our museum and we keep having educational programs there. Um, I just, I just, that just makes my heart glad because um, if we don't keep those kids reading and uh, we will all pay for that in the end. So uh, thank you to the Stewart Foundation. Uh, the other thing I wanna say is that we are moving forward with the counselors reading. Uh, it's gonna be the counselors reading club book club now for a while, see how that works. Um, I wanna thank uh, Olga Bermudez who is setting that up. So we'll all be hearing from her and she, as she schedules that out for the rest of the year. Um, so that'll be very exciting. Um, that's all I have. Do we have any comments from our city manager? Um, yes, Mayor Council. I just wanted to um, direct your attention to your email during the last council meeting. Council directed staff to send a letter to COGCC or to draft a letter to COGCC. Jane Turner has uh, sent that um, letter to you all for you to see. Um, and then we'll be working to get that out to them, uh, I think tomorrow, if they haven't already. But I just wanted to um, direct your attention to that email from Jane. Thank you. And I want to thank Jane. Um, the detail that she put in that email from our air quality monitoring was great. Um, from all the data that she's been gathering for almost two years. So uh, I want to thank her for that. Um, do we have any comments from our city attorney, Eugene? No comments, Mayor. Thank you, Eugene. So that is the end of our meeting. Can I have a motion to adjourn? I move to adjourn this meeting. I'll second. Thank you. All those in favor, raise your hand. All those opposed, thank you. That carries. Our meeting's adjourned, but we're going to use this same Zoom link to log into the Longmont Housing Authority meeting. So let's take a, a five minute break. Or do, do you want to move right into it, Harold? Um, we, we, we onboarded everyone. I think everyone's already on it. So um, if council wants to move forward, we can. If you want to take a break, we can take a break. It's council's. Uh, let's just take a short break. We've been, we've been talking for a bit. So let's take a five minute break and we'll be right back. Thank you.
Mayor and Council, I do have about 30 seconds left before we hit that five minute mark. Thank you, Dallas. Everybody come back on screen. We'll get our meeting started. Okay, we're waiting for Councillor Waters and then we'll be ready to go. There he is. Okay, uh, welcome back to the Longmont Housing Authority Board of Commissioners regular meeting today, Tuesday, March 1st, 2022. These meetings are being held virtually due to the pandemic. Um, let's see, do we have, there she is. <laughs> Don, would you mind doing roll call? Absolutely. Uh, Chairperson Peck. Present. And then Commissioner Hidalgo Pairing. Present. Commissioner Waters. I'm here. Commissioner Yarbrough. Here. Commissioner Rodriguez. Here. Commissioner Martin. Here. Chairperson Peck, you have a quorum. Thank you. Are there any uh, agenda revisions? submissions of documents uh, do we no. have anything no. pardon me Harold uh, no, we nothing don't. okay um we have a public invited to be heard uh can we at Dallas would you mind displaying the call-in screen for us so the uh I'm a little uh, hesitating here because it says we were going to take a five minute break, but we just took a five minute break. So Dallas, is there any way that we can keep the screen up and keep the meeting going and you can admit people to the waiting room at the same time? Yeah, so I, uh, I can leave this up. And if you are looking to see your other council members by the window um, that you have open, it should, uh, should give you a couple options and show grid video would be your best bet to see each other but I will I start see, a timer. Okay, I see all of us. So uh, for the public, you can dial in now for public invited to be heard. The dial to the dial toll-free number is 1-888-788-0099. Please mute the live stream. And when asked, put in the meeting ID of 894-9349-6835. When you're called upon, press star. The, I'm sorry, the uh, pound sign. Thank you. So we'll uh, keep, we'll continue while you issue them into the waiting room, Dallas. Thank you for that. Um, for old and new business, we need to review the proposed Longmont Housing Authority 2022-2026 goals. Um, I would like to invite Karen Roney on the screen to uh, provide, provide this report. Karen, I can't see you, so I'm assuming you're there. Uh, yes, Chair Peck, I can see you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so um, I don't know, uh, Harold. Did you want to make any initial comments on on the goals? Uh, right now, I'm having technical difficulties. So, okay, um, you can go ahead. Okay. Um, well, thank you. And because we did have a couple of uh, commissioners that were um, unable to be with us when we had our commission meeting on the um, last Thursday, we decided that we would um, move the conversation about the 
Longmont Housing Authority goals to, um, to, to this meeting. And it's been, um, so the, the, the draft goals are in, um, were in your packet. And it's been a while since we looked at these. The staff has taken some opportunity to add a little more information to the, the goals, putting together some objectives and action steps and some desired outcomes and, um, and outputs. That is still certainly in a, um, we, we will continue to refine those. So we wanted to take the opportunity to discuss the, um, the, the goals as we have them drafted right now, get additional comments from our commissioners and, um, and then come back with a revised, um, with any revisions to, to, to basically have the board of commissioners uh, approve. So, um, so I'm just gonna hit the highlights of these and, and then if there are uh, questions or there are comments from the commissioners, we would, we would love to, to have those. So the um, kind of the first overarching goal is that you see in your, um, in your packet there is, is, is really to make sure that the, um, the core focus areas of the Lamont Housing Authority, which is really managing our voucher program, um, you know, developing affordable rental housing for our lowest income um, households in Longmont and managing our properties to make sure that our work in those areas for the next five years are, um, are basically reflected in um, housing needs and uh, demographic and housing types information. So that we wanted to make sure we had data the, the most updated data about trends, about demographics, what's really needed, that that basically informs the, the work that we do in those, um, those core areas of the Lamont Housing Authority. And so we, um, we did submit, um, staff did submit a uh, grant to the Department of Local Affairs. Uh, that grant was funded. I believe we accepted that at the last council meeting, and um, and we will be moving forward with the um, the housing needs assessment that is funded through um, through through DOLA. We probably will not need to pursue additional um, funding opportunities since we were able to get that DOLA grant, and we'll be coming back with the um, with the housing assessment that we will be um, completing. So, I. I'll just stop after that that section and see if there are any comments about the from the the commissioners about that particular um, goal area. As okay. well, Mayor Peck, we are at the four minute and thirty second mark. Currently, there are no callers. Thank you, Dallas. Let's take this down so I can see everybody. Then, thank you. <clears throat> Do I have? Uh, I'm sorry. Do the counselors have any comments? or questions for Karen at this point? Doesn't look like it. Whoops, Councillor Martin. I'm sorry, Councillor Waters. Um, I'm the, she's the one with hair. <laughs> um, Karen and Harold, how do you want to approach this? I, just so the other council members know, I, because I missed the meeting, I was not going to be able to attend the meeting last Thursday. Uh, as I looked at that enclosure in those materials, knowing I wasn't going to attend, I, I provided some written feedback to Karen and, and Harold. Um, so you have my comments or concerns, recommendations. Um, are those, how do you want to approach this? You want to, you, I'm certain you don't want to 
wordsmith stuff. Um, uh, I mean, I, I've already submitted my my thoughts. You, should we just leave it at that, and you can do with it what you want, um, and then we'll decide in a subsequent draft of these uh, how to vote on that. I mean, I, I just I'd like to help. I'd like to contribute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't want to waste time, but I also I do have some expectations that I want to make certain we at least have a chance to address or discuss if we're not going to address them. So if, if I can, oh, go ahead. Uh, well, just to kind of um, make a statement about that, I, I would be curious as to what that was. Uh, I, I would like it, I would like what, to hear what your comments were so that if we, um, I don't know, would you have a problem with that, uh, Commissioner Waters? No, I. Okay, uh, okay. <laughs> Is there a way to summarize really fast what those comments were? Well, um, so let me make just a couple of general observations and I'll give you okay. an example or two. Okay. Um, I, first, let me just first say, I think every, all the work that, gets, that, that the staff is doing on this is important work. In fact, I think the most important decision that we will make as a, as a commission this year, and maybe for the next two years, um, are these goals and objectives, number one. I mean, I, the rest of its operations you know, we'll get asked for, get some, asked for some policy reactions or reactions to policy proposals. But I think this is the biggest, most important decision we'll make. What do we expect the housing authority to accomplish from the get-go, number one? Number two, just in terms of the sequencing of this, I think the last one that's listed, the, the goal regarding uh, residential life ought to be at the top of the list, uh, just in terms of a, a statement and and messaging uh, to our residents. Um, and I'll get to, to what might be a more substantive or a way to frame that. But as I went through the, the language, some of what we're offered as goals, I look, I look at and go, that's a good goal statement. Others, it's, I can't make it out as a goal statement, just as, as, I, as, as I look at words on a paper and think, what is a good goal statement? And so maybe at some point, we ought to have some agreement on what are the components of a good goal statement. But, but the first one, the overarching goal, there's a lot of words there uh, that, that, that I think mean ensuring the Longmont Housing Authority's core focus area, uh, areas, and that would parenthetical voucher management, affordable renter housing, development, property management, parent, close paren, reflect housing needs based on demographic and housing types. I, I think the words on the left translate into a simple sentence on the right that I think is clearer and, um, and is, act is an actual, it's not time bound and measurable. There are some objectives that go with that, but as I think is a legitimate goal statement. From that, I would, um, if I look at the objective, complete housing needs assessment by the end of 2022, that looks to me more like a task. The objective would be to deliver a report on anticipated housing needs based on demographic and, and uh, demographic and trend data. Uh, if I go down to the outputs and outcomes, the planning a grant application submitted to DOLA, that's an output. The, an outcome would be LHA's development priorities, development plan and development schedule will result in housing stock that accommodates changing demographics. That would be an outcome. So you know, I, I'll, I'll just stop at that point. As I went down, some of them, I get, I, it's a mix. Some of them are like spot on goal statements and others is like, I look at it and think that's not a goal statement at all, but here would be a goal statement. I think that intends the, or is, is 
stating uh, what we would what we'd like to state with the goal. Anyway, it's it's a mix of things, uh, uh, Chairman Peck, Chairwoman Peck, and um, so and I can go on, but you don't want to you know you don't want me to <laughs> no just drone yeah. on. Yeah, um, I understand what you're saying, but it sounds to me it isn't what they're what the uh, statements are saying. It is dividing what up. Dividing them. What are actual goals? What are tasks? What are uh, it's just being clear on what's a goal, what's a goal, what's an objective, what's, what's an task. output, what's an outcome, and just be yeah. consistent with that. And and at this point, when there's a couple of them where we couldn't I and I'm certain that just was a matter of time, just kind of but ran what, out of time in terms of stating what the intended outcome is. And when when we can't state an intended outcome. It's like, well, if we don't know what the outcome is, uh, we're not very clear on what the goal is. Um, so I, I would like to see intended outcomes, uh, preferred outcomes with, with goal statements. Otherwise, I don't think we have a goal. So, so um, Karen, I understand what Commissioner Waters is saying, but I look at it just a little bit different in that the goals, if we set the goals, then I, I think that the commissioners should be in the conversation as to what is the outcome. Not, does that make sense? That should be a discussion. Here are the goals. What do we expect the outcome to be? Where do we want to go with that? Um, and that would be a discussion that would be interesting uh, to have. So, but so far, I think everything you stated is good. I guess it's just the way we're putting, you're putting it together. Uh, uh, Commissioner Martin. We are uh, sorry, uh, Chair Peck. <laughs> um, I think that that differentiating goals from from um, uh, other components of a requirements flowdown process is pretty important because. Uh, it, I'm, I'm thinking of the process that we that we uh, went through at, at last year's retreat, and I felt that we had set some what I would say were objectives in terms of deliverables that we were going to build certain properties, and none of those properties have been begun. Uh, with the exception of the Chrisman one, which was, um, but the the authority has has not uh, has not taken any steps um, to what you're shaking your head. Finish <laughs> uh, your statement, and then we'll let Harold. Uh, yeah. Okay, um, so what I what what. My, my point was because, you know, I know there are things that I may not know about that, that are going on, but have not been brought before this body. Um, but because what we don't have is any ability to break the thing down and see what our deliverables are and what our expectations are for this year. And if we don't have anything but uh, we want to understand the um, demographic needs by the end of 2022. Does that mean that we're not going to make any 
forward progress on actually creating housing for the entire year. And I don't want to discuss that now because we're talking about goals and objectives. What I want to discuss is, is can we get these statements laid out in such a way that we do know what our expectations are about that? Because uh, you know, based on last year's I feel like we do know some objectives without knowing the demographics because they're so far below the bar of what our actual needs are that we can feel safe in proceeding with them. Uh, and that's why I think we need, uh, rather than listing things that are, well, they're all activities the authority needs to undertake, but they don't specifically define what needs to be attained in this year. And I would like to feel better about knowing what we expect to attain in this year. Thank you, Commissioner Martin. Harold, do you wanna weigh in on that? So I think some of those get fleshed out as we're digging in later in the document. Um, when we specifically talk about um, the housing choice vouchers and, and what we're planning to do, the rental housing development that we're planning to do um, which is which is later in that document, um, and and we work through Sunset Heights, fifty five permanent supportive housing, Christman two forty nine, overdevelopment thirty, and so we can talk about that specific. I think that's what you're getting at, as but that's in a later um, section of this document. Um, and Harold, with those developments, is there a, a timeline uh, that they will be completed? I think that's that's what we were that well, that's the way I interpreted what uh, Commissioner Martin was getting at. Where, what are our accomplishments, and when will they be completed? Which yeah, so are your goals? Yeah, we can get to that section, and when we say establish and implement a plan to develop six new affordable housing communities within the next three years. Um, that, that's where we're specifically talking about that section. Okay, thank you. So we say six and three years. Okay. Commissioner uh, Rodriguez. Thank you, Chair Peck. Uh, well, I will admit and agree that the document in and of itself is not uh, perfect if you will. Um, I think it, it does outline a number of actionable items that we can move forward with that I think the housing authority can agree, uh, at least uh, us as commissioners can agree, would be the most likely and uh, most actionable items. Uh, so I, I would like to see us continue to move forward regardless of the imperfections of the document, um, such as the director, the acting director of the Housing Authority has, has pointed out, um, and to continue working on the document to make it a more perfect document that does uh, adequately outline goals, objectives, um, actionable items, uh, be it you know outcomes versus you know, goals. Uh, so anyway, my point being is that I think we, we should move forward while trying to still perfect the document. 
um, and not not consider these things um, reliant on one another to to make action happen. So that's where I stand on it. Uh, as far as because I really, you know, regardless, like I said, of, of the fact that there may be things that are, are maybe mislabeled or misappropriated in the document, I think the document in and of itself outlines the great need that we have in the city of Longmont and the steps forward that are, are, are likely necessary in the immediate. And I think that's what's most important is the immediate steps that we can take. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, Commissioner Martin. Yeah, I actually concur with that. Um, I don't think I was very clear, but what I wanted, I, I was concerned about creating too many dependencies rather than, than not enough, you know, that we don't, uh, certain things that are inarguably necessary to become roadblocks, in particular, the demographic study. Yeah, and to that and to that point on this one, um, we're not letting that slow us down on the construction side because the gap's too great. And um, th this is really informing what we we need to look at in the future um, as part of that. And if council remember, it's not only affordable, it's also attainable that we're going to be mm -hmm. in part of this study as well. Absolutely. So, um, Karen, you did a great job. <laughs> so <laughs> to sum well, it all me, up. Yeah, well let me let me comment if 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 that if that's all right. Um you know, sure. so so certainly I appreciate the um the input that uh we received from council member Waters and the um I've already made revisions. Um I didn't include in the packet. Um at this point I figured we will look at uh additional comments or revisions we get from the commissioners. And it, it sounds like if I can clarify that it would be helpful to break down where we can some specific uh, target milestones in terms of years. So this is this is set up as a five year plan. And the only area where we have some years attached to it is really when we will be um, targeting some of the initial initiating some of the developments or the resyndication of some of the properties and and those um so we do have some specific target years for uh for for tackling those development projects and rehab projects but it sounds like it would also be helpful that we attach some um some milestones to to some of these other areas so that you, you kind of know when we're going to be when, when we're going to be tackling those and I think as um, as our interim um, executive director talked about, we are we are moving forward with a lot of these already. And yeah. and um, so, but, but yeah, I appreciate uh, we're we're trying to re we're refining in terms of clarity around goals and outcomes and objectives. And so that was helpful. We'll continue to work on that, and we certainly can add some milestones where yep. there aren't any. And and I guess the other thing, there are a couple of areas for sure that count that Commissioner Waters talked about that um, that we have not as we don't know what the outcomes are going to be. We're doing some more research on those, so it doesn't mean that those are not important. But we feel like we needed to do some additional research to help inform what would what's possible and what could be the outcomes. So we certainly plan to add outcomes in in a couple of those areas. But um, we're still 
we're still gathering some data to help us define that. Great. So that was that was a good discussion, I think. Um, do, do you want us to go over the other components on this? So um, sure, the, I, I do. Okay. Yeah, let's keep going. Okay. Karen, do you want to take the housing choice voucher, or do you want you want to go over that? And I'll jump in, or how do you want to do this? I I will take the housing choice voucher uh, program. So. Um, so, so basically, I'm reading off my revised document that um, I took council, I took Commissioner's Waters input. Um, so, so this this area, this goal is really to um, to increase the access to rental assistance for Longmont households with low and moderate incomes. And so, um, so the the direction that we got that we received from the commissioners back in July was to look at um, how we increase those vouchers. Uh, by 10% year over year, we wanted an right. aspirational uh, target. And so we included that in, in the document. And there's a couple of things that we um, that obviously we are working on now, which is how to perfect our understanding and use of the two year planning tool that um, that HUD makes available for um, housing authorities to make sure that we are optimizing the amount of um, vouchers that we can issue with the budget authority that we have, which is right now it's uh, 5.4 million is the allocation we get from HUD. And we have to use that two-year tool to be able to help um, define how many vouchers we can issue with that. We've called it our sweet spot, um, but that is really our, our, our guiding document to make sure that we are staying on top, that we are spending are 5.4 million and we're not overspending it. And so that's really the, um, the, the, the key for us. So um, right now, kind of an update is uh, we thought we, we have authority to issue up to 513 vouchers, but we don't have enough budget to be able to do that. So 420 was our target vouchers, um, but it looks like we, um, we like last week, we basically move that up to um, 439. So we are, um, we're continuing to use that tool so that we can optimize the amount of vouchers that we issue. And right now we are looking at issuing um, up to 439 vouchers with that 5.4 million. And I wanna explain that change a little bit to you all um, because this one, um, you're dependent on other variables. And so obviously we talk about the two-year tool. We, we targeted 200, 420, not based on what we're authorized, but based on dollar amount. Um, and, and part of that is we have to maintain a 2% reserve. And the mm -hmm. reason that 2% reserve, and that's really important into this conversation, is because that's to handle rental increases that occur. And so if you see the rental market move up on you, that reserve is there so that you don't take someone who has a voucher and then you're having to remove a voucher because you don't have enough money. So that's an external factor that actually impacts how many we have. Mm. What Karen was talking about is the move to 439 vouchers. We learned that there's another external factor that impacts this. And 
was it Medicaid or Medicare or so what was it? That we got an increase. Yeah, an increase in um, in um, basically Medicaid, Medicare, I think. So there was a Medicare increase that occurred that actually flowed its way down into our financial analysis that then allowed us to actually issue more. And I think Ken is Kendra on with us or no? She is. Um, Kendra can explain it in more detail, but basically what it did is it gave us more capacity. And so as we're learning through this voucher world, um, it, it, there, there are variables that are even outside of our control that can actually take you up and take you down. I think actually it was social security. Was it social security? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So can I just ask a question? Well, Kendra's probably going to explain it. I, do, I don't understand. So the increase in Medicare was to social the security. So it was social, I'm, I'm social security. security. I'm sorry. Was to the residents? Yeah. So, so they the, did need, okay, go ahead, Kendra. Okay. Yeah. So the residents, um, there was a release where social security was going to be higher. So mm -hmm. as people are getting recertified, they're having to pay more of a tenant portion. So that releases more HAP for us to release vouchers. Okay. Um, so that's something we monitor as we, so I wasn't seeing the um, average rental rate go up. That's what I was expecting to see to go up because we raised the fair market rent mm -hmm. to 100%. So I should start seeing that our average monthly rental goes up, but it wasn't. So that's when Ruby said, well, they got more social security. There was a release. And so we're seeing that go down so we can release more vouchers. Okay, that makes sense. Thanks for that clarity. So I wanted to use that as an example of that's constant, that's moving. Mm -hmm. And 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 that wasn't just an important learning lesson from our, us that we found out what two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Commissioner Rodriguez. Thank you, Chair Peck. Um, so my question is uh, related to people that are awarded vouchers here for the city of Longmont and then use those vouchers in different municipalities. Um, as that happens, is there a reaccounting year by year or do we continue to hold those vouchers as part of our portfolio, even though they may be in say Netherlands? So there's, there's two things. So we have people that port in to the Longmont and we can either absorb them into our voucher program or they stay as a port in. And we have people that leave our voucher program and go to another housing authority and that's a port out. So we keep them as a port out within our structure until that housing authority absorbs them. If they absorb them, then it opens up a voucher on our end that we can release. Um, but it's all dependent upon their funding as well. If they can absorb us, we have probably about seven that are ported in um, to ours and we have not absorbed them yet because we wanted to be able to issue that to voucher holders within our wait list that we just did. So. Okay. Thank you. I was just wondering how that affects the numbers. Yeah, it's all rooted in the total dollar amount. And so some housing authorities that have a lot of capacity um, routinely take them in. But housing authorities that don't have the capacity, you tend to, to let the people get housed 
can house other individuals. So I don't know if there are any other questions about the housing choice vouchers section. I don't see any. It's very complicated <laughs> for my mind. <laughs> um, so then, so, just so you know, we're going to do some things. Um, we're going to work to update our housing page as well to make that more clear. Oh, good. And, and part of that was, you know, so we when we opened it up, we had a thousand people. Mm -hmm. We narrowed that down to 150 uh, wow. because we obviously couldn't house the full thousand but then of the 150 um when we look at the vouchers the only thing that we really had available was what was left to 420 and then the additional um amount correct kendra and and so that really gives you a sense of the demand and what you actually have available yeah the other thing we we noticed this year um that we weren't really taking advantage of is that we might release 20, but then all of a sudden we have 10 end of participation. So we worked it into our process that if we have an end of participation, that's an automatic release of voucher. Get another mm -hmm. voucher out there because that's um, so we were never getting above the limit because we were having end of participations the same time we were issuing vouchers and not mm -hmm. reissuing on top of that. So that's definitely something we learned in the process and, and we've uh, upgraded our processes <laughs> in that. Wow, interesting. So, uh, Karen, do you have any more on this subject for us? No, I, I don't. I don't think so. I think um, you know we we certainly understand the commissioner's urging is to continue to grow the rental assistance vouchers, and 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 certainly our focus in this last year or so has been really to optimize and get as many vouchers out there with the funding authority that we have so that when HUD releases an opportunity for more funding, that we are in a good position to be able to go after that and be awarded more dollars from HUD so that we would be able to issue more uh, rental assistance vouchers for households in our community. Great, good job. So I think the rental housing development, Harold, do you wanna take that? Yeah, so- Molly? What the council said is uh, implement a plan um, to develop six new affordable housing communities within the next three years. Um, and um, you can see the, the objectives in terms of what we're doing. Uh, the action steps are really associated with what we brought to you all as part of the ARPA funding. And so invest 1.3 million in Sunset Heights permanent supportive housing development, 800,000 in Chrisman two, um, develop LHA owned Hover property for family focused affordable housing of 1.3 million, invest 1.7 million for seed money to do the public private partnership for affordable assisted living, 1.5 million affordable rental housing uh, that we'll manage as part of a mixed income, mixed rental that's associated with the Costco property. Um, that's already been expended. We've purchased that property. Um, and then 3 million uh, to purchase a rem remnant parcel with the Royal Mobile Home, and we're getting ready mm -hmm. to act on that. And so um, what I wanna talk about a little bit in this, as you can see um, in terms of the outputs and the outcomes, um, 
So the 1.3 million in Sunset Heights, um, that, as we talked about before, was really there based on what happens with the tax credits and the 9% competitive tax credits and what we need. Um, and um, in that, we're still in that tax credit component with element properties and um, uh, the state and Chaffa. And uh, right now, today, well, over the last few days, there's been a barrage of questions that Karen and I still need to connect on in terms of, of that project. Um, and so I don't know, Karen, if you have any more recent updates on that issue, other than we're, we're knee deep in, in, in the finance component or the, the tax credit process right now on that project. And, and most of the follow-up questions from the, um, from the uh, Division of Housing are really about how to pay for the uh, tenant support services that are a big component of the permanent supportive housing development. So mm -hmm. we, are, we are working through those questions um, and, and preparing responses to the D Division of Housing. And so um, I think when I was nodding my head earlier when Councilmember Martin said that, what I was really getting at in this is so Element Properties has come in, they've done what I would say is preliminary design. They've, they've, um, they're digging deeper into the design process of that facility, um, but they're also having to lag that a little bit because of the financing component of this. And, and what I mean by that is if you tax credits, then the deal can't go forward, which is why we allocated this money. And I'm looking at Molly because if for some reason it doesn't happen, we take this and then try to bridge the capital stack with this money so that it could function as a 9% project if we had to go in the 4% non-competitive tax credit piece with this. And so to give you a sense of how long this takes, we submitted this application in the first round last year for the tax credits, the 9%. We weren't awarded the 9%. So then we had to wait to the next round, which was February, what was the date, Molly? February 1, so we submitted into February 1. They're still moving through that. We're having to answer all of these questions, but everything then starts stalling out um, as you're moving through this, uh, this component on the tax credit side. And, and it's really dependent on them in terms of whether or not you get it. And, and everyone gets real hesitant in terms of where you move until you get certainty on the tax credit side. So that's really in terms of Sunset Heights. That's what we're waiting on, is, is to get an answer on the tax credit side. And then depending on what that answer is, then we have to then scramble pretty fast to figure out if it's not the answer we're hoping for, then we've got to bridge a financial gap in this project to see if it'll even work. Um, so, and in, in the time sink on, on, on this point, just to give you a sense is, um, it's a lot of time when you start getting into this level of conversation with them. I think Molly's spending hours upon hours as we do this, and that's just on Sunset Heights. The next one that comes in, as you see the affordable, the 800,000 with Christman, that one's a little bit different because we're going in with a 4% non-competitive tax credits, which we know we got, but then the financials in the capital stack 
because of everything that we're seeing in inflation increases started flipping on us. And so then we had to figure out how do you resolve a gap financially? And so two things are happening in that world is that we're looking at what we have for 800,000, but we're also having to go back to Department of Housing. They agreed to contribute $20,000 a door to that project. Molly, we're asking for what now? 35,000? 32,500. 32500 32, per door. So we're asking for an additional $12,000 a door to make that project pencil itself out, figure out what we're having, bringing to the table, and, and we're in that conversation as well. In addition to that, um, that's a 4% project, so that's non-competitive. You're running a parallel track with DOH to get more money per door to help bridge the financial gap, but then you're also working with the lenders who've agreed to in invest on this project. And, and so we just signed the LOI with the lender last week. And now we're moving in with the attorneys in terms of, of the overall agreement. That one's actually moving a little bit faster, primarily because it was a 4% product. Um, but for the ARPA funds, we probably are even, we're at a, we're really stopped waiting on this, but because they were granted the 4% non-competitive tax credits, that gave the developer enough certainty to go into full design and a development review process within the city. So, so they've been in, um, and they're, I think in the second round of comments, second or third round of comments. We didn't have very many the last time. So now we're just waiting on the financials to go through. So it takes probably, I would say, you know, if you really fast track the financial side of this, and this is what we're learning and trying to build a timeline, a good nine months just on the financial side um, to pull all of these things together in, in the development of these processes. And the more complicated it is, the longer it takes. Um, so you have about a nine month financial process. Uh, once you can get tax credit information, then the development process moves at a different, it starts moving. And your goal is to when you're ready to close and do it, the development and the financing has lined up with each other so you can move. And that's probably, I'm looking at Molly, uh, really over, overly simplified explanation of how these projects come together. What we're going to try to do is give you all a graphical representation of the different stages and kind of show you where we are in each one of these projects so that you get a sense of, of what we're dealing with so you know where we are. Um, and we're just trying to figure that out because we don't want to set the expectations up here when we know in reality we're, we're still here at the ground level trying to get the, the capital stack pulled together. And so when, um, when Molly gets a breather um, on those two, uh, we've talked about bringing that together. Um, what we're not bringing into the mix in terms of the development of the new houses, the new uh, locations here, is also the resyndications that come in for us. And so we also have a resyndication of um, and we probably should add it into this just to, but recent syndication of Village Place, which is essentially the same financial work that you do on the development project, but you're just doing it so you can reinvest capital in it. 
and so that's going to be going this year as well um and the, and we finished the capital needs on village place and on lodge and hearthstone for a conversion of the 202 out of that and so we've got those four going um, which is why we're advertising the development and finance position because that's going to be incredibly important for us to start pulling the trigger on these other projects. And, and so we're going to get more focused on timelines. Um, but to be quite honest, we're learning our way right now. I mean, we're, we're learning through these projects to get a sense of how long it really takes as we're moving forward. Commissioner Murphy. Thank you, Mayor Peck. Uh, just a by-the-by suggestion. Uh, when you are doing this, could you also provide us with a glossary? For example, um, use the term 202. I have yeah. no idea. And I started I started my little <clears throat> that I didn't understand too late for the number to be meaningful, but mm -hmm. a lot of them went by. And I don't know whether everybody else, them, but I don't know any of them. Well, and sometimes we don't either. We learn them through it. Um, uh, but yeah, we, we definitely need to give you all a glossary on this as, as we're moving through it. Um, but so I wanted you to know, so our next work on this is really to start allocating timelines and dates and then give you a very basic version of a, of a Gantt chart in terms of where we are, um, just so you all know where we're sitting on this because um, without just blowing our minds um, three this year to hit this three year timeline toward the end of the year, we got to figure out how to layer two more in. Um, and then next year, I mean, now we're going to have to start staging these things. And, um, and frankly, right now we're just at capacity issues um, in terms of getting this work done. Um, and so that's what we got to figure out and get some positions hired. Um, I really appreciate what you just walked us through, Harold, um, because it really answers the question is why is it taking so long? Why don't we have anything here? And, and um, the steps are amazing that you, the hoops you have to jump through to, to pull it all together. Not only, not only the staff, but the developers as well. You know, it's, it has to, it has to all come together and it's a big job. So thank you so much. Um, and, the, and, and the reality, if I can give you an example, you're moving this way. Yeah. You'll move back on, on things like inflationary increases on the cost of goods and services. So on, on Christmas too, we thought we were here. The market got out from under us and we backed up because then all of a sudden you have to solve for all these issues. And then you move forward and then something else hits you and then you move back. And, and so it's, um, We've got to figure out a way to show all of that movement because that's important to understand these how we're going to develop these with more specificity for you all. Great, thank you. Um, so is that the end of the report for the 2022-2026 uh, goals? Um, I think we've got- or, or have we gone way past that? <laughs> <laughs> I, th um, I think- Chair Peck, so the uh, so I'm just going to hit some of the others. So they're the kind of the um, the other areas that we had talked about was really in developing partnerships, and um, and so <clears throat> so those are 
kind of toward the end of the uh, end of the document. And and those are really in the areas of helping to make sure that our older adults that are living in our senior independent living um, projects or um, developments that we are able to enhance the availability of supportive services so that individuals who are in our properties can live there as long as possible before um, you know before needing a, a long-term or assisted care or long-term care. So what we've outlined in here is what the um, you know what the plan would be. We've identified that the supportive services have um, probably fallen into the range of cleaning, home care, and transportation to help with independent living. Our action steps are really to look at what are the various partnerships that we can establish um, to make those uh, services possible. And, and, and again, our, our hope is that we are able to increase by 5% year over year the number of residents who can access those supportive services. And obviously, we want to uh, lengthen the time that individuals can stay in our LHA properties before they need more, um, more uh, care in order to support them. So that is the one area we are also looking at, and, and this was uh, identified also in our ARPA funds, is, is really to look at the need for affordable assisted living. So when individuals aren't able to live independently in our, in our properties anymore and need to go to um, you know, assisted living, that um, finding affordable assisted living is has been a challenge. And so this is really about, um, you know, we're going to do some research with a, um, a model that the Loveland Housing Authority has, um, has uh, established, as well as looking at a partnership with, uh, with True Pace for, um, for people who are um, Medicaid eligible for services. So again, we're looking at how you know, once people can no longer um, really be living safely in independent living, how do we have some um, kind of that continuum with affordable assisted uh, living that would be available for um, for our residents? Um, and so those are kind of the and then moving into the next level of partnership was really around one of the commissioners so the commissioners talked about how do we also look for opportunities for um, for some of our family housing as we bring that on, how to create an opportunity for um, you know either early education centers or after school programs or those kinds of things in as part of those uh, as far as those developments. So we we do have on the um, starting in 2024, I believe the resyndication of the Aspen Meadow neighborhood, which is our family housing. Might there be an opportunity when we resyndicate and refinance that project to provide more um, on-site care for our um, for children who are living there, as well as as we look at bringing on new uh, family developments? How do we how do we think about and in encourage um, opportunities or buildings or whatever for for early child? care and youth development. Boulder Housing Partners has done this pretty successfully in some of their models. Um, and this is an area where we have to be determined. So I know <laughs> Commissioner Waters that we're just not sure what uh, what that outcome is gonna be. 
Well, we'll have one. I promise we will have one. Um, but we're still working on the research around that. And then we'll come back when we kind of know which um, what might be possible sooner that we will be able to add some outcomes to that. Hey, and then Karen. the- hey, mm -hmm. Karen. I think the same thing is, it's the same issue on the, um, you know, really get more specific on the affordable assisted living. Right. Uh, you know, is it that we, you know, at the end of the day, to the point of the goal, is it, are, are we going to build a greenhouse similar to what Loveland Housing Authority did? I mean, we, and that's what we're still trying right. to figure out. And so that will come back because we've got to get more specific on what that's correct. Correct. And that's the same way with uh, the other um, area that commissioners asked us to look at was really about how do we establish a pathway to home ownership. So for some of our voucher holders that are paying um, a, a pretty large portion of their rent um, if, you know, from their own incomes and their HAP payment, their housing assistance payment is, is, is a smaller amount, they, they might be ready to transition to uh, you know, market rate rental housing or even home ownership and or looking at how we strengthen our partnership with Habitat for home ownership opportunities. So again, we're researching. We'll have outcomes, I promise. <laughs> so, um, and then also the same thing with our residential, um, our basically our community development, which again, we heard from, from Commissioner Waters about, you know, we might want to have that early on in the in the document rather than at the at the end. We are moving forward with, um, you know, we've conducted the individual interviews with uh, around 75 to 80 of our residents that live in all of the various properties that the housing authority owns and operates. We um, our next step in that process was to take the themes and to go back to the residents through a community conversation and flesh out just what specifically would be some of their priorities and actions they would like to see the housing authority take. And then we went back into lockdown for uh, COVID. And so we put a pause on the on those community conversations, but we're back. Um, we have members of the the LHA advisory board that have signed up to help with those community conversations. And again, um, once we finish those conversations, uh, I would say by the, um, you know, by mid-year of this year, we will be able to add some very specific outcomes based on the additional input that we get from the residents. So that's, that's the high level. And and again, I've already, you know, made some um, revisions based on what um, we received from Commissioner Waters in terms of, of really strengthening some of the um, objectives when they and goals when they were maybe more squishy. They needed to be uh, strengthened. So we have done that. And whatever, if uh, commissioners have additional input around that. We will, um, you know, we've we've taken notes on some things that we got here um, that we received this evening, and we'll continue to um, flesh out and strengthen those um, those goals and timeframes and milestones. So I'm going to make a motion that um, Community Service Director Karen Rooney cannot retire. <laughs> For a second. <laughs> I'll second that. 
<laughs> it's amazing the amount of work you do and it's very exciting in the uh in the movement forward yeah so you know i think we're really excited um and speaking for this the staff that are on this call you know it's it's um it's excited to see the work it's excited to see the focus um we really haven't had that before and um and so it's it represents a lot of hope for um, a fabulous future, I think, for the housing authority and the folks that we are um, supporting and serving in our community. I think so too. Thank so, you. What we would what we want to see by by the end of the year is two projects under construction, if not a third resyndication, all at the same time. And I, I give you a sense, I'm just saying that because um, I've said this to the group, if you would have asked me when we took over the housing authority, if we would be talking about development of this magnitude, um, I think I, I said we would have, I would have thought we're crazy. Um, this is a testament to the work that everybody on this and the people that you don't see on this. Um, and, and what I mean by that is um, our resident managers, our maintenance staff, they are doing things right now that's freeing capacity up to do these things. And, and, and um, this is a team effort. Um, and when you all will hear me talk about center of excellence and things like that, this is one of those that you bring that group together to take these big, hairy, audacious issues and, and you move pretty fast or opportunities. Take opportunities and you move fast and um, they've done phenomenal work we know we got more to do to tighten this up um, and our commitment is we'll do that for you all if you have feedback send it to us via email okay and, and we'll definitely take all of that and we'll bring it back to you and if i could vote on the mayor's motion i would love to be able to <laughs> oh great uh commissioner martin Yes, uh, thank you, Chair Peck. I I just want to say that uh, you know, frustrations um, expressed all aside. It it is clear the magnitude work that's been done, um, and you know our frustration. My frustration is because of the magnitude of the need, you know, and and. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have so much to do, and it is two steps forward, one step back as as things change. And and so I, I just want to express appreciation for having developed in less than two years, or actually two years, I guess, um, the level of expertise in, in the city organization that makes it possible to do this at all. So thank you. Thanks. So um, we have the interim executive director's report. Uh, Harold Dominguez is here. What I'm hearing is that it's all kind of morphed into one in, in this presentation, but well, uh, the aged receivables report I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask Kendra and and probably um, Molly and is Lisa. Then Lisa. I'm gonna ask Kendra to jump on and talk about 
the age receivable and the monthly financials quickly. And okay. Lisa to talk about uh, the vacancy report and the property updates. So um, when we started this journey a while ago, um, we started an air balance of about $139,000, of which there was about 52,000 that was in prepayment or HAP suspense with community managers assistance um, and my, my great accounting team, um, along with some write-offs that we had to do in December. You know, we've brought it down to a balance of 33,000 and only 20,000 in that prepaid. So, I mean, we've made great strides in getting the AR cleaned up and we're in a much better cash situation than we were <laughs> back in the day. So, and, and that's, that's like a full team effort. You know, the reason we're in a better cash situation is, you know, HCV realized we could go up to the fair market rent on these PBV units and the HCV units to bring more money into these properties to help assist with capital needs assessments and repairs. We also had, you know, Lisa on board who knew so much about property management um, and how to um, <clears throat> and how to utilize those tools for those properties to make the best of their dollars. So, um, you know, we should be able to do some of these repairs on our own and without getting a third party involved. So we're in a much better cash situation um, with, with just that. Um, anywhere from 100,000 to $150,000 more in cash than we were at 2020, at the end of 2020. So it's, it's, it's been great to see the strides that all of them are making, you know, from community managers to the HCV staff, um, to the leaders on board here. So um, if anybody has any questions um, regarding any of the financials, um, most of it's right in, it's still an audit play <clears throat> right now. Most of the properties have to have their audits completed by February 15th. Um, so I think we've reached that goal and some of them have been finalized. Um, there's a few out there still, and those are the ones that pretty much just got finalized. Um, but we'll start the LHDC audit and the LHA audit here soon. Have any questions for Kendra? No, it looks great. So um, Lisa, vacancy and property reports, property updates. Good evening. So for the um, occupancy, I'm just happy to, and excited to state for the first time since I've been here, we've reached 97% at the end of um, January. So we're moving up. Um, I positive that's going to continue into this month, well, February that we just closed. Not too much going on. We have a couple wait lists open right now. As of the first, we had the 202 properties, which are HUD um, 62 and over properties that are subsidized. Those waitlists open today and they're open today and tomorrow. Um, there is no maximum amount of numbers. The households do have to be over 62 to be put on that waitlist though. And we also have Village Place waitlist open and Spring Creek's waitlist open as well, currently. Um, we do have a few units down still due to meth. We believe the one at the neighborhood will be back online by um, Hopefully April 1st, it's in its final cleaning and um, should be 
good to go. We are working with our insurance agent to get the sweets one back on board. And not too much more around occupancy, but any questions based on the report you guys received? Do you have any questions? Uh, I do want to know, Lisa, how many people are on the waiting lists now? Each waiting list varies. We have a waiting list per property mm -hmm. for all of our senior properties, a separate one for the suites, separate one for Village Place, separate one for 202, because each project is so different. And it's um, some people may not want Main Street location like for Village Place, but they want over on Homestead Parkway. So each community maintains their own. And those wait lists could be anywhere from 30 to 60 people. Once okay. we hit a good number, then we'll close the wait list. I, I, when you close them, I would be curious, and maybe some of the other commissioners would as well, as to how many people are on those wait lists, just to get a feel for our community and uh, how many people are in need, um, okay. even though we're helping a lot, how many, how many people are out there. So just going yes. forward. Okay, so when we close the next, the, these next four that are open, I will um, bring to the next meeting. Great, What thanks. we close those with. Okay, I'll move on to the property updates. I don't want to bore you too much, but as Karen stated before, we did have a successful um, HCB waitlist opening. Um, we had over a thousand people apply for the 150 spots. We've brought on a new maintenance tech. We do have a conditional offer out for a housing choice voucher specialist. He is supposed to be starting um, March 7th. So that will be growing the HCV team. Let's see. Um, a few great points to point out for Aspen Meadows neighborhood, CHAFA, the Colorado Housing and Finance Authority, did approve us for an employee unit on site. So we will have a manager moving in to help keep eyes and ears on site after hours and help with that neighborhood and making sure everything's going smoothly even after hours. The Briarwood that we've had two units, um, this isn't on your sheet, but we've had two units held for the city funded voucher program. Both households moved in today. So Briarwood is now 100% occupied. Aspen Meadows Senior um, <coughs> has also reached 100% occupied. We, we still have a couple of spots open. We are looking for, still looking for a custodian. We're looking, and we're looking for another maintenance position. Okay. Uh, the other thing is um, Briarwood has historically not been part of the crime-free multifamily housing program. And um, when I talked earlier about the work with Sarah, Sarah's part of the team as well. And so Lisa has been working with Sarah to make Briarwood part of the crime-free multifamily housing program. So at this point, all of our properties will be part of that program. Correct. Briarwood was just inspected last Thursday. Lisa, what is the acronym HCV? What is that? Housing Choice Voucher. Oh, of course. Okay. I should know that. So, so the only... Uh, if there's no questions for Lisa, so the only other update that I wanted to give you is you all may remember um, that the Longmont Housing Development Corporation, <clears throat> excuse me, and decided that they wanted to dissolve. Um, and so we're in the middle of untangling all of, all of that at, at the moment. Um, 
as you all know, uh, Aspen Meadow Apartments, um, we actually did that through the resyndication on, on that property. Um, we are part of the HUD 202 transfer is also to transfer that from Longmont Housing Development Corporation to the Longmont Housing Authority. Um, and then the, I'm trying to think what's left, Molly. Help me on this one. The two biggest um, th that we need to work on Spring Creek and Fall River, and that's because they're so early in, in the process that we have to go through and work with um, the uh, the lenders and other and other folks to get that converted over to the housing authority. Um, and that's going to take a fair amount of time, I think, to move through that process, but not what we initially thought. Um, there's a fair amount of untangling that's going to have to occur on Christman 1. Christman 2 is being brought into the LHA portfolio. We have to untangle Christman 1. Um, and, and what we didn't talk about is when you finance these, you get into C-Corps and other things in order to make the tax credits work. So we have to start shifting all of that. So um, we have a, a team of our accountants, a lawyer, um, Ben Doyle and um, Sarah Batt all working with us right now as we're converting that over into the housing authority. And at the end of the day, what that also will do is strengthen our financial position as a whole. Um, and as we move in the development, I think it streamlines the process. Right now, what we're working through on that is really to understand um, the uh, Chodo component to this, which is a community housing development organization, and how we do we want to see if that can fit in play here because we can't be a Chodo. And so we're going to have to figure that out. Um, Chodos actually went down because there wasn't a lot of money for them. And, and what we're hearing is there may be more money. So we're trying to understand that as we untangle the Longmont housing. Development Corporation and bring it in. So you all will probably start seeing that hit you probably what within three or four months, Molly? Yep. So our first steps are to, based on our input from our uh, tax auditor and the attorneys, uh, fine tune the priority list of which properties we have to start first which ones will be easy to pick off, which we need to start first because they'll take longer, which as you mentioned, Kristen one is, is high on that list for that reason. So yes, we're working on a schedule and step-by-step um, -step process for each of these to outline it and know what, that, what, what each will require and the timelines associated. And the thing that we have to be really careful on is the tax liabilities um, involved in this because one misstep can create hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in tax liabilities. Mm -hmm. And so it is um, really measured as you're moving through this. And um, we're all learning tax law now uh, for affordable housing. Any questions about the LHDC move? You answered mine. I was I was going to ask you, how how do you get developers for these properties? Do you put out an RFP? But the Chodo, Chodo, I guess is what you said. It's so, um, there there are. It's a different question depending on what it is, and you can do an RFP. Sometimes there are developers that are really 
there are developers that are very specific to this type of affordable housing. And so you really, sometimes they'll come to you. That's actually what happened with Crispin. Um, and so it, it depends on what you're looking at, but I will tell you what you do look for is somebody that understands the world of um, tax credits and Chaffa and DOH, because if you don't have that experience, um, it can be a, a tough road. And MGL, who we're working with on Christmas too, they're really strong in that arena. And I think that's what's helped us keep this, this project moving forward and frankly in play, to be honest with you. Um, they've done a lot of work. And so we really look for expertise on the development side in this arena. Um, and, and how they can move through it. Interesting, a lot of work. So uh, is there anything else, Harold, that you want to bring to us? That's about it. That's it for today. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot. You do great work. So since we're done with those presentations, we uh, I wanna know if we have any uh, commissioners comments before we end the meeting. Commissioner uh, Waters. Uh, thanks, Chairperson Peck. Um, Harold, I chatted with you briefly um, a few days ago about parking at the Village Place. I understand yeah. this is not a policy question. This is an operations issue. But I don't know if other others, um, council members slash commissioners, have had questions about parking at Village Place. Um, if you have them, I guess you will. It would be helpful if we could just publicly to clarify uh, where are we and where are we headed with parking at Village Place? Uh, what can what can residents count on in terms of their need to or not to compete for parking uh, space spaces? Um, and is there just something we could get a few sentences that we could be consistent in our responses when we get questions from residents about parking at Village Place? Yeah, so first on the response, Molly and Lisa, since our conversation has provided me with, a, 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 since your question based on the call you received, they provided me with something. I need to get with them. There's a couple of points I want to um, look at in that, and we will get that to you within the next day or so. Yeah. Um, I think, so there's a lot of things happening right now in parking. Um, I, we know we have parking issues at Village Place because of its proximity to downtown. Um, they do have people that park in that location. Um, they have assigned spaces. Um, what we were looking, what we're looking at doing is um, we partner, and this is not, so the parking issue is all over. So let's start there. So we're partnering with a tow company um, and we're going to be putting signs up and, and they will be working with us to monitor locations to ensure that the residents who live in the properties actually have the parking spaces um, that they're the ones parking in in those locations um molly lisa you're gonna have to help me on this one um so that's how the conversation started um we also then began village place as i said has assigned parking and as we look at the monitoring and these components operationally i think it becomes more difficult with the assigned spots the other thing that we saw in Village Place is that they actually assign handicap spots to people, and, and you can't do that by law. And, and so um, there's a legal issue that, that, we have, that we have to deal with on, on those spots. 
but generally I think there was some understanding that they were going to have to compete with parking for the DDA in the Village Place parking lot, and that's not the intent of this. The intent of this is to ensure that there are parking spots for people who live in those locations. Um, Lisa also told them that this is not something we're doing today. It'll be, I think, six months is what you talked about based on what we're able to do. And so we were trying to have that conversation with them ahead of time. Now, all that being said, we talked about the resyndication of Village Place, and we know when we do that, we're going to have construction. Um, we're going to need to have a place to stage construction, and we will be actively engaging in conversations with the residents of Village Place as we move into into that area. Um, and so that's that's a quick update on that, but we'll give you all the the specifics in that email. Did I? Thank you, Lisa Molly. But you Correct. covered it well. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. So are there any other comments from commissioners? Seeing none, I think that we need a motion to adjourn this meeting. I move to adjourn. Did <laughs> I have a second? Thank you, Commissioner Martin and Commissioner Waters. Um, so all those in favor of adjourning, raise your hand. Thank you. This was a really good meeting. You gave us a lot of information, good information. Thank you. We are adjourned. Thank you.